This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Recently, Subangjaya was declared as the third city in Selangor after Shah Alam and Petaling Jaya. This makes us ponder about the criteria to become a city here in our country and how they are usually defined. On an administrative level, criteria such as the number of population and the income generated are used as benchmarks. But how do we look at defining cities from the perspective of sustainable design? Joining me to help answer that question is Chao Lin Wai. He's a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia. Okay, hi, I'm uh, Chao Lun Wai. I'm a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying, University of Technology Malaysia uh, in Skudai, Johor Bahru. And uh, I actually specialize in uh, urban design, low carbon city planning and design. Uh, and uh, my, I have a very strong interest and passion in uh, actually creating good, more sustainable, livable urban places for people. So the reason why I wanted to talk to you was because um, of this recent news about how Subang Jaya has recently been declared uh, as a city, right? Uh, but I don't want to focus so much on on that, but uh, more about I guess the theoretical conversation about how a place can evolve from being a, a municipality into a city, right? So uh, maybe you can like give us like, at least at least within Malaysia's context, how does Malaysia define a city? Uh, I think. When it comes to the definition of city, in a formal sense, it's best to fall back to the Kementerian Perumahan dan Kerajaan Tempatan definition, the Ministry of Housing and Local Government. Uh, they do provide a, a very good definition of uh, what cities should be like formally so that a particular urban area can be upgraded, for example, into a city council or a city hall. These are all available on the website. Uh, so I think anyone interested in knowing the 11, I think there are 11 criteria, then they can actually refer to, to the website. So uh, there are actually 11 criteria, I think, listed in the KPKT website in terms of what a city should be. I, I mean, I didn't memorize uh, all the 11, but uh, some of the key ones and good guide would be, for example, an urban area within a properly defined administrative boundary, which has, for example, more than uh, half a million people living in it. So the population size is half a million, 500,000. And uh, the area generally has a good level of uh, services provided by the uh, uh, city government, or we may call it the local authority as in Kerajaan Tempatan in, in Malaysia, yes. Uh, and apart from that, I think the area needs to generate a revenue in excess. The, the, the local authority itself should uh, generate a revenue in excess of 100 million ringgit a year, for example. And that the uh, local authority needs to exhibit a capability to uh, sustain uh, the, the city financially well preferably with a surplus in the uh, cash flow. And of course, the other things are like, you know, physical infrastructure, utilities, and so on. And also a very strong, I think, emphasis in the economic sense in terms of economic activities. There should be 
for example, good industrial development, commercial development, and so on. So on the whole, the urban area or the urban center, you know, fulfills all these criteria, then they can actually apply to be upgraded from, let's say, a municipality or municipal council. In Malaysia, we say Majlis Perbandaran, then to be upgraded to become city councils or Majlis Bandaraya or city hall, they want Bandaraya. So as an urban designer, how does Chow Lunwai define a city beyond this administrative criteria? Oh yeah, there are many. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked this question. In fact, there are many. And in my view, I think it's important to have some formal definition as uh, given by KPKT because for administrative purposes, for say institutional purposes, you know, we need that in order to categorize our urban settlements into whether you know they are cities or, or towns or municipalities or whether they are at the level of district councils and so on. So these are important, but I do think that we also need to go beyond all these rather administrative, quantitative kind of criteria. In my view, if we look at the word or the concept of city in a general sense, I mean, a city can be just uh, an area, you know, with a rather high concentration of activities which are quite urban in nature. For example, uh, high value types of activities like uh, industries, commercial, uh, there must be good services and so on. And then, of course, a concentration of people. So cities, urban areas in a general sense can have a description like that. So in Malaysia, we are quite specific about this. So as mentioned earlier, cities with 500,000 population and above, and then towns generally, if I say Banda town, generally 10,000 people and above. But to be, of course, a municipal council, Majlis Perbandaran, you need to be 150,000 people and above. Something like that. So these are all, I think, the formal, administrative, perhaps more quantitative types of uh, criteria. Now, back to your question, I think we need to go beyond those criteria that I mentioned earlier. And therefore, we are now venturing into another realm, which I think is also interrelated with all the other criteria before. But these are probably... In general, in the Malaysian urban context, I think may not be so well done. So these are the key criteria which may have touched, uh, which actually touch, some would be intangible, like what you just mentioned earlier, but some are, of course, tangible. So in a way, we may start with uh, talking about cities being actually about people more than anything else. I mean... uh, A very famous professor, Nick Tyler from University College London, asked a very interesting question. For example, he was asking, why do we need cities? Yeah, or something like, you know, why do we have cities? So the answer is surprisingly simple because there are people, you know. So in a way, cities are about people. Of course, without people, what you have would be just, you know, the physical buildings, uh, infrastructure system, utilities, roadways, and so on and so forth. Uh, So it is actually people, the community, that actually make up what we call a city. And all the physical aspects are also, uh, in a way, built by people to fulfill human needs, societal needs, and so on. 
So it is important to start uh, when we start thinking about, let's say, living in a city, the quality of living, quality of life, livability in the city. It is very important for us to first and foremost recognize that cities above all else are about the people. So when we start putting people at the core of it, and therefore the planning and the design of cities will then have people as the starting point, understanding how people use spaces, understanding how people behave in urban areas, how people move in cities, importantly, how people interact with other people, or in fact, how people interact with the physical environment. So all these are very important understanding and observations that we must make in order that we are able to really physically and spatially plan and design cities that fulfill the people's needs. According to Lunwai, some cities are also built to prioritize efficiency, especially cities in developing countries. Uh, I think because of our rather, let's say, single perspective pursuit of uh, economic growth, we tend to actually emphasize more the efficiency. Uh, it's, it's not wrong. I mean, cities are about you know efficient delivery of goods, efficient flow of materials, energy, information, and so on and so forth. However, if we focus primarily on this and kind of sideline some of the other very important aspects that are actually directly related to how people live in cities, the quality of life in cities, the aspects of livability in cities, then I think we are failing the cities. So one very clear indicator of this is when we start planning and designing cities to be car-oriented. And I mean, uh, you, you know, a car-oriented city is almost like in inverted commas, yes, the mother of all urban woes that you, you can find in the city. Uh, there are many good books, actually, that kind of give a very good narrative of how this happened. So uh, anyone who is interested may actually just dig into uh, a recent book by Charles Montgomery called The Happy City, or in fact, the classic text by Jane Jacobs. Anyone interested in urban studies would have uh, also known Jane Jacobs, who wrote The Death and Life of Great American Cities. And, uh, you, you know, actually there are many books that I can still name, but pro- probably not good to go too deep into that. Uh, or probably one that one more, the only one more that I would like to mention is actually Jan Gel, J-A-N-G-E-H-L, in his book Life Between Buildings. I think these are key texts for us to really have a good understanding and a good grasp of what cities should be like, especially with respect to the human beings who are living in the cities. So coming back to the point, when we start designing cities, to reinforce car dependency, to, to be car-oriented uh, instead of emphasizing act, what we call active mobility or public transportation use. I think then, you know, we are beginning to create a lot of issues and problems in the cities which we are seeing today. Yeah? So uh, a car-oriented city is not difficult to identify. In fact, I feel that these days we are so good at creating car-oriented cities 
by way of us doing rather relatively low density, monofunctional type of uh, planning and zoning. So what I mean by this is uh, we go for large tracts of similar types of uh, users or land users. For example, you know, large tracts of residential uh, without the necessary services or you know local shopping or commercial areas located within employment and residential generally are separated by rather large distances it's not possible for people to walk to or even cycle to where they need to get to and when this is compounded by a public transport system which is not efficient which is not comprehensive in coverage then people have no choice but to resort to driving. And when that starts happening, you can see, you know, every family will at least have one or two cars. And as children grow up, they start working, so they also need cars. So these days, I think it's not difficult for you to go around our, our modern housing estates or schemes, and you'll be seeing, you know, three, four cars parked just outside every house almost. Yeah, I mean, some houses may have like some houses may have like, two cars, three cars, but on the whole, it's quite common to see three or four cars. So you know, you can go around and and make observations like this. Even in low cost or affordable homes areas, it's not difficult really to see like two cars per house and so on. So why is it so? I mean, in in a way, it's not the fault of the people. I think the built environment that we have created, we have uh, progressively built up over the past three decades or so, made it a necessity for people to own cars. And if we continue along this kind of growth path, this kind of development pathways, I think things will only get worse. So these days, there are some, well, I mean, not really so new anymore, but uh, relatively, you know, newer ideas of thinking about how we need to redesign and replan our cities to be oriented to the public transport system. So what we call the transit-oriented development or TOD. And within the concept of TOD, when we look at in detail at the uh, area around the public transport station, it could be railed public transport, like in the Klang Valley, you have the MRT, RRT and so on, or the commuter train. Or in the other cities in Malaysia, which uh, still do not have the rail system, then probably the buses and so on. So when you've got a, a public transport stop, you know, the immediate area generally defined at probably 250 to 400 meters in radius from the public transport stop should be designed in a certain way that will encourage, uh, you know, more people to use public transport. So in this sense, we are talking about encouraging relatively higher density type of development, which by right should include affordable homes because, uh, you know, conceptually affordable homes uh, with, uh, you know, people with, uh, say, medium, low and lower income groups. These are the people who may actually be using public transport more. And this is just the beginning, by the way. I mean, in a really good city, more sustainable, livable city, by right, everyone should be encouraged, motivated and uh, facilitated in terms of using public transport.
Lunoy also takes the time to help explain how a city that is built to prioritize public transport can be beneficial to many parties and the urban environment. So let's say within a 400-meter radius, equivalent to about a 5-minute walking distance from a public transport stop, then you need to have the higher-density mixed-use type of development, which should ideally include affordable homes. So by doing so, what we are saying is, this is actually no rocket science, it's very commonsensical. We are putting more people living nearer to public transport. And near the public transport itself, in fact, you know, we should encourage uh, active street level kind of uh, activities like, for example, continuous active retail frontage along the street because that also provides services to people who are walking in the street and then uh, that also makes the streets feel safer and therefore it may encourage more people to walk in the street and also therefore use public transport. The use of public transport is actually very closely related to whether the city supports walking or not because you have to walk to the bus stop for example right i mean if you have to drive all the way to the bus stop or the rrt stop of course you have park and ride i mean uh, you know but uh, yeah that that is okay but that actually is still not as good as if you are living nearby and then you can just walk uh, to the public transport stop and when people when people start doing that you will see very positive change in the urban environment in that there will be more co-presence of people in the street. Then having more people walking locally in the street will generate the demand for local businesses, therefore uh, a growing local economy. And these are all, in fact, very important dimensions of sustainable cities, the, the local economy, you know, local businesses thriving and so on and so forth. And as more people are present in the street, streets generally become safer. People feel safer about it and active retail frontages add to the quality uh, of the street environment. So that encourages more people to walk. So in a way, it is a benign circle, if you like. Yeah? Good things happening, therefore attracting more people and you know, even better things happening and so on. The reverse of it is the vicious circle. Like when we start planning streets or cities to be car-oriented, there will be fewer and fewer and fewer people walking in the streets. Then the streets become, you know, give, give people the feeling of insecurity, it's unsafe. Then fewer people will be walking and, and so on. So once we start rethinking about cities and how we design cities, then we hopefully may be able to reverse the whole process and therefore creating urban environments that are really lively, very good for walking, cycling, using public transport. A city is not just fulfilling the criteria, in my view. The criteria are important. These are good starting points. Cities should strive to uh, you know, be upgraded, to develop, to grow uh, in economic terms, in social terms, in environmental terms, and so on so that they become bigger cities, generate more economy for the people's well-being, provide more facilities, good infrastructure, and so on. But to me, these are the starting points only. And it is timely, in fact, high time that we in Malaysia, Malaysian cities, should start thinking beyond that, 
looking into those type of quality aspects, some tangible because you could talk about physical design, how to restructure the street network, the density, you know, the relationship between different functions like affordable homes and public facilities and so on. Uh, but some are also intangibles with respect to um, how people feel, you know, happiness, the uh, imageability, sense of pride, sense of community, sense of ownership, the feeling of security and safety in cities and so on. And these are all uh, very big concerns of urban design in particular. And, and I think, therefore, you ask a very, very good question. It is timely we begin starting looking into all this. That was Chao Lunwai, Senior Lecturer at the Faculty of Built Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia, sharing his thoughts on how cities should be defined and designed to be more sustainable for everyone. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharuddin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Remember to stay at home if possible, practice social distancing and stay safe. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.